0: Is artificial intelligence the key to survival for today's embattled business leaders, or a replacement for their expertise? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Artificial intelligence has managed to worm its way into just about every aspect of business affairs, especially when it comes to the supply chain. It only follows that computers would be needed to make sense of the massive volume of data that accompanies the flow of product from raw material to the end consumer. But what exactly is AI in its current form anyway? What role is it playing in companies and their supply chains today? And will it make human decision makers redundant? These are the topics I'll be discussing today with Seth Early, CEO of Early Information Science and author of The AI-Powered Enterprise, Harness the Power of Ontologies to Make Your Business Smarter, Faster, and More Profitable. We're going to talk about whether that bold claim is being fulfilled or whether the cultivation of an AI-driven organization means putting people out to pasture. So here is my conversation with Seth Early. Seth Early, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Seth, is what we call artificial intelligence today, is it the same thing that was originally envisioned by the pioneers of the science decades ago?
1: Wow, that's a really interesting question. I think that's the first time someone has asked me that. I think that they did envision a lot of this, but they didn't know how to get there. So the vision is being executed Between the time that the pioneers envisioned these possibilities and the time we've been able to practically realize them, there was a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of lost attention to the approaches. There was what was called the AI winter. AI was one of those things that was very exciting to the pioneers of the space, they tried a lot of things. There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of unrealistic expectations back then. A lot of things that were not as practical as they needed to be. And so AI initiatives lost funding, lost enthusiasm, lost support and went into what is referred to as the AI winter. That AI winter was because the technologies weren't quite there. The data wasn't there. The computing power wasn't there. And many of the applications were still being developed. Mm -hmm. Some of the approaches were were still very immature. Fast forward uh, 20 years after the AI winter, I don't know the exact dates of that, but it was the last couple of decades, saw a lot of lost enthusiasm, lost funding, and so on. We've come to a point where we're at this nexus of data, processing power, and algorithms that are much more mature, much more practical and are able to achieve results that we were not able to achieve in the past.
0: The target was set so high, it seems. True AI was said to be, it's 10 years away, it's 20 years away, and every year it was 10 or 20 years away. But it seems like now, as you point out, the target has been readjusted to a far more practical kind of goal, such as you outline here and the way it can actually be used by business as opposed to worrying about whether AI truly mirrors the workings of the human brain.
1: Right. (laughs) So, Right, right. Yeah. It's a far cry from that. I mean, people still use that as an analogy, saying, well, these tools like deep neural networks operate like the human brain. That is absolutely not true. I wrote an article about five myths of AI, and that was one of them. And it had to do with the complexity of the brain. It's far more complex. A single neuron can interface with 10,000 others. There's a 100 different types of neurotransmitters. There's no binary. It's, it's all gradations. It's very interesting when you start getting into the biology and the science of it, the neuroscience. Mm-hmm. But It's analogous to some of those operations. It's analogous to how some of the biological networks work. The other thing I was going to say when you start talking about AI, back in the day, there was a professor at MIT, and I don't recall uh, the name, who said, by definition, no AI works. By Mm. definition, AI doesn't work. As soon as it works, we call it something else. And when you think about it, word processing was actually one of the first applications of AI back in the day, when you took human judgment and knowledge and expertise, and you embodied it into an algorithm that was considered artificial intelligence. But we don't say, I'm going to write that report now with my AI. You say, I'm going to use Word, <laughs> you know, or I'm going to use mm-hmm, Google Docs mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Speech recognition is AI. Spell check is AI. There's so many parts of AI that are just under the covers and in the infrastructure and in the systems that we're already using that we do not refer to as AI. But then we came to this other point where everything is AI. Now, every vendor has AI, every algorithm. It's become stretched to the point where it's any algorithm that anybody uses is called AI. And it really has gone to the other end of the spectrum. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to see that.
0: Well, I'm glad you you kind of stripped it of its science fiction implications and you're centering it in the real world. Indeed, your book is called The AI Powered Enterprise, showing how it can be used today. But before we proceed any further, I want a definition of a particular word because the subtitle of your book is Harness the Power of Ontologies to Make Your Business Smarter, Faster, More Profitable. Would you please define for our audience what ontologies
1: are? Absolutely. So an ontology, some people are familiar with data architecture, data structures, or even taxonomies. I mean, there's ways of organizing information. And when you think about a way of just Organizing a hierarchy, people call that a taxonomy. It's parent-child whole part relationship. Whenever you have like a list of your products or your product types, the categories that your products live in, there's navigational hierarchies on websites. When you have your supply chain software, there's usually some kind of way of organizing the different types of suppliers and the different types of products and the different types of procurement activities and so on. Those are Hierarchies are usually called taxonomies, and that's just Mm -hmm. the term to refer to a way of organizing stuff in a hierarchy. But when you have lots of different things to organize, like your suppliers and your products and your customers and your regions and your different solutions and offerings and whatever those things, you have multiple of those taxonomies. And what happens is you have relationships between them. So you might have products and regions, but then you have products that are available in a region. Right? You have mm-hmm. a supplier that has certain certifications, you have suppliers and certifications, you have suppliers that have certifications, right? So it's relationships, it's multiple ways of organizing all of the different types of information in your world and the relationships between them. So for life sciences, it might be mechanisms of action and biochemical pathways and diseases and indications and so on. For an insurance company, it's risks and its regions and its products and services. For a manufacturer, etc. So everybody has their own domain of information and knowledge and they're different. And so an ontology is that collection of all the different ways of organizing the information in your domain. It's really a way of describing your world, right? What are all the things that are important to your organization, your products, your services, your solutions, your people, your content types, your certifications, your suppliers. And when you have that network of relationships, it really becomes a knowledge scaffolding for the organization. And it becomes the source of truth, kind of like master data, but it's bigger than master data because it includes not just data, things that are concepts that are important to the business, like Mm -hmm. business processes, things you can't necessarily put directly into data terms, but are important, important business concepts. And what everybody finds when they're trying to organize information in their world is they find inconsistent ways of naming things, right? You might call suppliers by different names, or you might have different categories. You have different systems that don't communicate to one another because they were built on different sets of assumptions and different ways of thinking about the information and different definitions and different terminology, right?
0: Or rising so, from solid that's organizations, each with right. its own terms, right. terminology.
1: Exactly. Exactly, Mm -hmm. so the ontology becomes that source of truth that maps together the inconsistent terms. If one organization called it one thing and another organization called it SOW versus statement of work, well, those get mapped together in the ontology. So the ontology is that Rosetta Stone, right? It's that source of truth that maps those different concepts together and is the source of truth of all those ideas and concepts and terms and even data sources and so on. So that's what it does. It really acts as that knowledge scaffolding, that data scaffolding, that way of making sense of all your information across diverse sources. And you can imagine with a supply chain, you're naturally going to have all those diverse sources, right? You have lots of heterogeneous information sources and different ways of thinking of things and different ways of defining things. And that has to be reconciled in order for us to optimize our supply chain.
0: So absolutely an essential aspect of approaching this whole issue. But I want to back up even more and ask you to make the case for this, just in a broad sense. Why do we need AI today? Sure.
1: Well, when you think about a supply chain, a supply chain is a movement of physical goods from manufacturers, to distributors to users, and it's incredibly complex. In my book, The AI-Powered Enterprise, I talk about an air manufacturer having over 1 million parts and thousands and thousands of suppliers. I don't remember the exact numbers that I researched, but the point here is that that is not just a movement of goods. That's a movement of data because Mm -hmm. every item that we have in our supply chain, especially when they're very complex, has associated data and information that has to travel with that good. In fact, a physical supply chain is really a digital supply chain. It's an information supply chain, right? Because we need to know the provenance of our suppliers. We need to know their ethics, things are ethically sourced. We need to know if there are quality issues. We need to know, have that ability to trace back through our supply chain, any issues that might be problems with our customers or with our processes and so on. So that whole information ecosystem, and you have to think of it that way, is very complex and very difficult to understand. And humans cannot understand that much data themselves. We need to have tools and technologies to identify trends, anomalies, patterns, and make predictions, right? When we're trying to optimize how our suppliers are providing our goods, well, there's so many different variables. And small changes can have very large impacts. The only way to do that is to have technology that can identify the impact of those changes, those downstream impacts, those upstream impacts, and the ability to say, how can I substitute a supplier or a source for these items that are no longer available for my existing supplier? Well, there's a lot of complexity to that. And when you have thousands of suppliers and tens of thousands of components or parts or materials, there's just too much information for a human to be able to handle.
0: That being the case, there's so much data out there. And yet I think you make the case here. I get the feeling that you would say AI is not something you just buy, take it out of a box and plug it in and it's running. You need to lay a data foundation for yes. it. Now, how do you go about doing that in order to actually prepare the ground for an AI system?
1: Well, we're working with a life sciences firm that is looking at optimizing their supply chain as the beginning of their AI initiatives. And the first thing we have to do is start to say, well, let's understand how we're evaluating our suppliers, because quality control is an enormous piece of this, right? So first Mm -hmm. of all, we need to be able to understand whether our quality control processes and materials testing protocols are effective. We need to understand how to compare them across suppliers, and we need to process all of that data. So the first thing to do is say, well, how am I evaluating suppliers, right? What are the requirements of the materials? What are the specifications? What are the testing protocols? And those testing protocols happen on a periodic basis, right? And how do I extrapolate that across the needs of the organization to say, well, wait a minute, this supplier's not meeting the expectation, we're not meeting the standards, we're not meeting the requirements. But Mm -hmm. what we have to start doing is identifying those different elements, building the supplier quality ontology, right? What are the different elements? What are the different tests? What are the different protocols? What are the different materials? What are their, their constituent parts? What are they going into? And with that, we have the ability to start building out that framework for that baseline of assessment that foundational data so it's identifying all the things that determine whether your supplier is meeting their quality requirements right so that's just one piece of it the other thing is when suppliers are providing materials or parts or components they have to also provide data about that when you think of, a, of an engineering requirement or specification Sometimes that's in the heads of an engineer. It may not be captured in the data model of the material or the component, but somebody down the road needs that. Maybe there's a manufacturing engineer or a quality management department, or maybe there's some other customer, end customer, that needs to understand those components. So suppliers actually have to be meeting data quality standards and data standards that are enforced Mm -hmm. by procurement so that you can make sure that you're getting the right data with the materials, with the supply.
0: Right, so all that information has to be fed into the system. At the same time, on the sales side, I imagine you have to feed in or program in histories of products, sales histories and the like, so that the AI can then go ahead and make decisions based on what it's learned. I mean, you're teaching it, are you not? That's right. And does it get better with experience?
1: It can, and it really depends on the algorithm, and it depends on the data, and it depends on what you're trying to teach it. But a big part of AI is this idea of learning, the machine's learning or the algorithm's learning and getting better. Mm -hmm. And that's a tricky concept because AI and machine learning is based on this iterative process of the technology trying to find an answer and then taking that approximate answer and feeding it back into the algorithm, right? So it's a constant estimation of the answer and then getting closer and closer. That's actually the learning that goes in in a machine learning algorithm. When they say machine learning, it's learning from its output. Like it's making a mistake and then learning and making a mistake and learning. And it's saying, okay, I'm getting closer and closer and closer. So that actually is how machine learning works, right? It takes its output, compares it to what it's trying to achieve, and then it uses that to estimate once again. And it does that iteratively. So when you think about learning, yes, it learns from the data and it learns from the results. You have to very carefully identify and understand what process you want to learn from and what those outcomes will be. So it's, it's not a matter of you just turn it on and it learns. But yes, you have to input the results and you have to mm. input the other data so that it can try to predict and optimize and come to it a result that you need to get to. So the point is that, yes, all these other data sources are valuable, but they have to be carefully selected and they have to be carefully curated and they have to be in the right format. So the whole idea of feeding data into an an AI algorithm requires that we know exactly what we're trying to achieve, right? We need to know what that business process is. I like to say you can't optimize what you don't understand, right? Hmm. (laughs) You can't automate what you don't understand. You can't optimize a mess. So we need to have the data sources curated. We have to have good quality data. AI is not going to fix your data. It can help you curate it but it's not gonna substitute for bad data. And we have to be very crystal clear about the business process that we're trying to optimize.
0: We're talking here about input, let's talk about output. I'm sure you know one of the big concerns in AI is the notion of the so-called black box, the idea that the AI system comes out with a conclusion and you may not know how it came to that conclusion because it's so complex, supposedly, that humans can't even conceive of it. How important is it for us to know what is the basis for an AI system's
1: decision-making? Well, it's critical. There's a couple of different ways to look at the whole black box idea. The argument to say that it's more complex than humans can understand is valid at one level, and it's not valid at another level. If an AI vendor comes to you and says, oh, that's proprietary, or that's a secret sauce, or that's our this or that, or we can't tell you, that's mm-hmm. a sign to end the meeting, right? Because that's mm-hmm. not a valid answer. They may say there are parts of our neural network, there's a part of this that is that the machine will make a decision on, but we're clear about what the output is, right? The, it how it gets to that, there's some types of programs that are very complex where you don't know exactly how it arrives at the decision, but you know what decision it's arriving at and you know what process you're optimizing. So from a business process perspective, you need to understand the inputs, understand the outputs and what you're trying to accomplish. There are some algorithms that are very difficult to understand. Deep learning, deep neural networks and so on are complex to the point where humans cannot understand them. But that said, don't let that become an excuse for a vendor to not explain something to you or to explain things in terms you don't understand. You should be able to understand the overall business process and the outcome that you're looking for. There are pieces of it that are somewhat opaque or somewhat difficult to understand but understanding how it's operating, what it's trying to accomplish, and what the outputs are is very important. So there may be some pieces of it that are not understandable, but understanding the business value, understanding the business process, understanding what part of that process you're seeking to optimize and improve, and what that business outcome is absolutely important. I've talked to vendors who said, Oh, you don't need to think about the hypothesis. You don't think, need to think about the data. Just point it to the data. Our algorithm does everything. That's nonsense.
0: There's still some people there. I mean, we, we hear about the evolution of systems starting with descriptive to predictive and then finally <laughs> to prescriptive, in which the Correct. system is actually making decisions. And I'm wondering, to what point does the human simply walk away and say, hey, you do it, or uh, there, there's got to be some human intelligence Na-
1: that <clears throat> yes. makes a final Na- decision, does there not? absolutely. Absolutely. AI is in service to support humans, not to replace them. It is to support humans in doing their jobs, not to, to supplant them, not to replace them. It doesn't replace entire functions. It doesn't replace entire jobs. It doesn't replace people. It takes away the routine work. It takes away the drudgery. It takes away the highly complex number crunching, and it will present to the human alternatives or options or paths But humans need to understand what you're trying to accomplish, whether that approach is appropriate. I always like to say that an AI is not going to make sense of a process that people can't make sense of, right? And an AI is not going to know what is going to engage a customer. An AI is not going to know how products need to be configured to work as a solution, right? Humans know that. AI can capture some of that once a human creates those relationships. Once a human uses their judgment, their insight, their creativity, their expertise, their knowledge. AI is not a substitute for human creativity, human gate engagement, or human knowledge. It is not. It is a tool that can facilitate all of those things. So human judgment, human creativity, human knowledge is critical to all of these things. AI is never going to make decisions that humans don't at least vet And understand, at least at the bigger picture perspective, at some point, once we make a process repeatable enough and we know that the results are consistent, yes, the AI can continue to do that, but not until the human vets it and approves it and says, yes, that makes sense. That's going to solve the problem.
0: There is so much more we could talk about. You make a very strong case in the book about the importance of AI for the customer experience. AI in e-commerce, a very powerful role there. So much more in the book, but I'm afraid we're out of time, Seth. So, oh yeah,
1: I just reread the supply chain chapter just for, for prepare for this. I'm like, wow, this is really great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, I've forgotten some of the stuff I've written. And so, I'll tell you, so many
0: elements. If you do say so yourself, right? <laughs> I
1: do. If I do say so myself, and I'm and I'm I'm being completely honest when I say there is some really good stuff in there.
0: And it was written oh. by a human being by the name <laughs> of Seth Early, author of oh. the AI-powered Enterprise, Harness the Power of Ontologies to Make Your Business Smarter, Faster, and More Profitable. I will link to the book in the show notes to this episode, but I just want to thank you, Seth Early, for taking the time to tell us about the book and imparting some really valuable information, and for that matter, intelligence about AI in the enterprise. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: That was my conversation with Seth Early of Early Information Science, talking about the AI-powered enterprise. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at scbrain and also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.